Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day. And I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Hey everyone, James from Glee Books in Sydney here. This weekend, Words and Nerds is brought to you by us. If you're missing being amongst the shelves of Glee Books, we're trying to bring a little bit of the shop to you. We're running virtual tours on our Instagram, and our resident storyteller Rachel is holding digital rhyme time and story time sessions on Mondays and Fridays at 10am on Instagram Live. Give us a follow either at Glee Books or at Glee Books underscore kids to keep up to date with our recommendations and other goings on in the bookshop. While we're closed for browsing, we're still open for click and collect orders and we're also offering free posts within 10 kilometers of our Glee shop or free delivery for orders over $70 nationwide. You can place your order via our website, which is at www.gleebooks.com.au. We can't wait to see you all again once lockdown is over, so please stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Sophie Overit. Sophie won the 2020 Penguin Australia Literary Prize and the 2018 AAWP Emerging Writer Prize and has been shortlisted for many others, including the Text Prize and the Ritual Prize. She's passionate about storytelling in all of its forms, but particularly stories for the page and the screen. She writes across genres and formats with a focus on magical realism, literary fiction and horror. Her debut novel, The Rabbits, which is the book we talk about today, has been optioned by Cathartic pictures. Welcome Sophie and before we get started I really want to hear what it was like to win the 2020 Penguin Australian Literary Prize. I mean amazing. It was very cool. Uh, it was extremely unexpected. 
Um, I'm kind of one of the, I'm very much used to being the bridesmaid, never the bride at these sorts of, with the awards. I get like, I've been very lucky to get kind of shortlisted for a few. And so I was like, yeah, shortlisting is amazing. Celebrate that. Don't expect it to go any further. Um, so to get the kind of call from Penguin was just incredible and, and extremely unexpected and, and happened right as Melbourne was going into our big lockdown. So it was just the timing was almost absurd it kind of felt very very weird but um yeah it was amazing and it was amazing to be able to work with the team at Penguin because Meredith and Melissa in particular who are my two main editors were just a dream honestly wow. a dream team yeah it's funny though because when I was reading your bio you were shortlisted for this and you were runner-up for this and so I feel like this time has been coming for you <laughs> thing though you know I actually I remember watching um Tim Minchin's special on ABC about when he was writing Matilda the Broadway version of Matilda yeah. uh, which is wonderful um but about how he described it as being like you know you are so much of kind of being a creative working in creative industries is you kind of hacking through the woods and you've got in the middle of the night and you've got no idea where you're going. You're just trying to get to the road. You're just trying to get to the path. And then you finally get through, you get through the woods, you get out into the path and the news crews all rock up and like, how did you do it? How'd you get out? And you look back and the path's already been covered up again and you've got no idea how you made it. <laughs> you're just there hacking away at things, hoping um, and just trying to just keep going forwards, you know. Mm, um, so I love I that. Yeah, it's, it's, and it was something that really resonated with me at the time and still does because yeah. I kind of, I really feel that, you know, you submit and you, all you can do is keep going forward. So I think so much of creative work is about perseverance um, and not being turned away because it's, I mean, I'm very not, I'm not very romantic about writing. <laughs> I love writing, you know, and I think I don't know, writing is something that makes me happier than anything else in the world. Um and I and I do think I'm a I think I'm a good writer. I don't think I'm a great writer. I think I've got a long way to go. Um, and, and that's that's all part of the process. That's why it's exciting. But perseverance is the big thing. You just mm. keep going. I like that, and I like the woods analogy as well. Except sometimes you feel like you may never find your way out of the woods. There are definitely those moments. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's like I am never finding the road. I'm just going to sleep under this tree forever. Yeah, so, all the mosquitoes come yeah, out, it's the creeping noises. It's very concerning it sometimes is. in the woods. Now, let's talk about your novel, The Rabbits. Can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this book is about? Yes, yeah, so it's a multi-generational family novel um, in the heavy dash of magical realism. Um, but it's about what happens with a, fa with a family when the teenage son goes missing. Um, and it's about how the family responds to that, how they react, um, and but also what kind of old wounds that that reopens. Um, but also nothing's quite as it seems. That was a great elevator pitch. Well, thank you. Oh, I have been practising. I can't Yeah, lie. It's well, I'm glad it came out. Well, well done. <laughs> elevator pitches are tough. Really hard. Now, families are already complex. There are already dynamics that sometimes you can't understand. Now, you add a missing teenage boy to this mix, and I was wondering, was it your intention to explore trauma within these complexities of the dynamics of family? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really attracted to stories. I mean, I just, I don't know if there's a term for them specifically, but I tend to call them collateral damage narratives. 
but about stories that kind of, it's not about the hero journey. It's not about the people who are actually doing the thing. It's about everyone else, mm. you know, and how everyone else gets impacted and affected by this big, horrible thing happening. Um, and that, that's something that I really wanted to explore with this. I was interested in, because I think, you know, a lot of, I think when we're looking at the big books about, um, you know, magical realism and missing children, I think the one that jumps at least to my mind is Lovely Bones, mm-hmm. um, which is a great book, but, you know, it's so much, she's got such a voice and such a presence in that. It very much feels like her story. And the parent, while the family does have their own arcs, it's, so heavily based around this child um, having having been killed. Um, and what I was interested in exploring is this kind of, it's a kid who's a bit older, you don't really know what's happened. Um, there is the possibility that he's run off. Um, you don't really know what's happening and what happens to the people who are left at home um, and the family who loves him, but also has their own baggage they're trying to unpack. <laughs> Yeah, there are so many complexities and threads to unpick, which obviously that's what makes it an amazing story. What I do want to talk to you about, though, is magical realism. I think one of my first experiences of reading magical realism was Tim Winton's Cloud Street with a talking pig. Later on, obviously, we've got Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. And what I really like about magical realism is there aren't always answers for what's going on, which is reflective of life because we don't always have answers for what's going on. But what were the challenges of including magical realism in such a realistic story? It's um, It was a funny thing. I got into the Tin House Summer Writers Workshop in 2015, which was in Portland in Oregon, um, and I had an earlier draft of The Rabbits, which is what I took. Um, and I was, um, luckily enough, the two of the keynote speakers um, at the event were Julia Elliott, who's a wonderful magical realism author, and Karen Russell, who I think is quite fairly well known to Red Swamplandia and St. Lucy's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. Um, and they are both from Florida. Um, and they talked, Julia Elliott got up into this incredible keynote speech, which was about how the humidity and the heat in a place like Florida um, it lets a parasite into your head which lays eggs in your brain and just makes everything absurd wow uh, yeah I really connected to that as being from I mean I'm from Brisbane but I've got family in far north Queensland the tropical heat is something I'm extremely familiar with and the, the rabbits was already kind of weird it was already I mean it was already the same story um, but I think watching that really let me lean into that um, and let me, in the, in the rewriting process, be like, well, this is actually a strength, you know, leaning into this kind of weird ways that the heat just invades everything and just makes everything a bit uncanny. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's amazing because I, I think we underestimate how much our environment, particularly weather and climate, mm. how that impacts our moods. I was speaking to someone yeah. who, who lived in Canada and, you know, minus 30 like I can't even imagine I don't even want to imagine minus 30 (laughs) that that sort of feeling of hopelessness and and you know depression and you see mental health issues rise in those particular times in winter etc so it really does impact our moods what I really liked although you dealt with it in a magical realistic kind of way (laughs) it, it really impacts people their moods and how they see the world and how they're feeling and even some of the clothes you have to wear you know when you when you have an Australian summer and you just chuck on your thongs and chuck on a dress and go out the house, you feel very different when it's winter and you're cold and you're uncomfortable and you put gloves on and a hat, you know? So I, I yeah. feel like I feel like that was really impactful 
in in yeah. yeah in sort of showing how your characters are feeling so did that help with the character development yeah it really did and, and yeah kind of kind of touching on that too it's like with that sort of heat one of the things that I always think about you know growing up in in Brisbane but going up to Townsville and Mariba where my mum's from um during holidays is about the fact that it's so hot like you don't want to wear clothes but you have to because you need something just to mop up sweat like you can't just be naked it's not that you know it's not that sort of place it's just there's a very specific I think temperature range where you cannot wear clothes temperature range (laughs) I'm interested that's all we should have a study well the temperature's got up everyone (laughs) now it's yeah (laughs) back into the clothes (laughs) <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. <laughs> but it's funny, especially when, you know, we, we could travel pre-COVID. Um, yeah. I remember staying in Holland with my cousin for, you know, a number of weeks and I remember getting up and she's like grabbing all her beachwear and I'm like, what are you doing? It's 13 degrees. She's like, 13 degrees. We're going to the beach. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's funny how, you know, she was really excited that it was 13 degrees and it was about to get to 18 or something. And they're all heading to the beach. I'm like, are you crazy? Where's my jumper? So, <laughs> it's interesting, that outlook. And, you know, I really yeah. like the idea of, of the suburban Brisbane because it does have a different weather and doesn't have, it does yeah. have an impact on people. And I, I really liked how you were you're looking at the quirks of suburban Brisbane. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I grew up in Brisbane. I only moved to Melbourne a couple of years ago, so I'm actually I'm a very recent um, expat of Brisbane. Um, and I just, I love Brisbane so much. It's, it is my home. It's a place that is so. I think it's kind of a bit neglected in terms of literature in Australia, in terms of these sorts of conversations. And I was just really interested in exploring. And because even when we do have stories about Queensland, it tends to be stories in remote and regional areas. Um, it tends to towards the far north or the Midwest, or it's about the desert, or it's about the beach. I have this big, um, big theory. There's a huge subgenre of Australian literature, which is white man having an existential crisis on a beach. Um, that is just, I feel like half the bookshelves sometimes, and particularly again, novels about Queensland, novels about WA. Um, and I don't know, I just, I didn't feel like Brisbane was reflected. Um, in the literature that I was reading, which kind of disappointed me because I think that Brisbane's an interesting, weird, wonderful place with so much personality and so much character. And you don't get to see that on the page um, and you certainly don't get to see that on the screen either. Mm. Um, And being able to kind of start to unpack that because, I mean, because the Brisbane that's in the rabbits is partially fictionalised and partially real, which is kind of... Um, I hope fun for people, you know, I hope people like recognise certain places and don't others because some of them are made up and some of them are very real and, and places that I went to um, and, and love and still go back to. Um, but, yeah, just just capturing that and cap- and hopefully imbuing that with affection. Mm. Um, but it is nice reading outside yeah. what you usually do in terms of settings. You know, we've all heard of stories in Sydney and Melbourne and New York and whatever. Um, so it is interesting to find different places um, to explore and see how setting is really important for character development because I feel yeah. like, you know, setting is a really important um, aspect to that. And I think the only um, book I can just remember recently that was in Brisbane was, of course, Boys Swallowed Universe. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, you know, I think before that I was like, oh, there are missing books in Brisbane and now there's kind of this 
a bit of popularity towards writing books set in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating too because I think, you know, so often when we think about um, writing spaces, we tend to think of, you know, it's, it's a stage that people are on when that's not really the case. I mean, we're not, we interact with space so much yes. as people. Um, and it's, I love the way when stories really embrace the fact that, embrace setting as as um, as a character, as something that interacts with characters, as something that's living and breathing and organic and, and has an impact on the shape of the story overall. I mean, I tend to think about, I'm a huge horror fan. I love horror. Um, and that's, you know, that's so pivotal to horror is, you know, everything about the haunted house narrative is the house is. Yeah, you know, the character. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's doing more than just interacting, you know. It's, but I think you know, there's lots to learn from different genres like that. And, again, I think fantasy as well is a genre that yes. often really gets that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think literary fiction can sometimes can sometimes get it really well, and other times neglect that a bit, and which I always find disappointing because it's something that so I think is exciting. Yeah, yeah, and I think suburbs as well. Like I think suburbs, there's so much in suburbs because there's so many people living in the suburb, and there's almost yeah. all these kind of domestic secrets and pockets of different things happening. So I actually find the suburbs quite fascinating in literature. Yeah, me too. And it's like it's been so fun to watch the crime boom with the yes, yes. Like all the Leanne Moriarty books getting like a huge swell of interest after Big Little Lies has been awesome. Even yeah. Gone Girls is in some ways a suburbs novel, yeah. you know. Like it's there's so many um so many ways crime has just fully embraced the suburbs recently, which has been such a delight to see. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think most readers, a lot of readers live in the suburbs. So it's yeah. interesting to take up that space, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot more writers than they want to admit probably live in the suburbs. And, and it's just, you know, I mean, I think writing what you know is very much about, you know, more um, more authenticity of emotion, I think, than anything else. But it also is something like, why are you afraid of writing the suburbs? Mm. Um, I think it's interesting too because the suburbs, some suburbs, they have the, the sort of facade of being, you know, new builds or new houses and the very clean facade of, you know, happy families. That's how they're often presented and marketed. And I really like looking behind that, you know, particularly yeah. in the like what is behind that poster with those happy families and the dog, you know, what's happening? <laughs> That's what I'm interested in. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. It's like I was just talking to someone today about that that iconic opening line from Anna Karenina, you know, which is, yeah. is um, every happy family is the same, but every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. Um, and the reality is I think especially as we get older and as, as the world becomes a more complicated place, mm. I think happy families you can be happy some of the time but I yeah. think there's often yeah we're not all like that poster no we're not no. like that poster. not 24 hours a day no. <laughs> especially when people are trapped together during lockdown yes. oh goodness right sometimes um currently lockdown in Sydney and there has been some times where like everyone in your own space right now <laughs> half an hour no one talked to me <laughs> So now art plays a role in the book as well. And I like art in books because I often think it can be either healing or revealing or creative or, you know, something to do that sort of reveals something about your character. What did art mean to you in this story? I mean, I think definitely art's something that's revealing for Delia. And in particular, I think it's this kind of, I mean, loss of self plays a big role. I think in all three of the the 
point of view characters' lives. Um, and in particular, I think, you know, Olive's a character who's never really found herself, but Delia actually did know who she was. Delia knew she was an artist. She found herself through art. And art was this big kind of connecting point for her. And I mean, so much as well of the stories about being seen. Um, and Delia is somebody who has always felt seen, even when she didn't feel seen, she felt seen. Um, and art was something that allowed her to do that. Um, and it's this kind of disconnect that she's had over the last few years from art, not being able to produce art, which coincides with the breakdown of her relationship um, with, her, with her children's father, um, where she started to kind of lose that sense of self and lose that kind of that sense of family, lose that sense of identity, um, which is why she kind of ends up taking up an affair and looking for it in different places um, without even kind of realising that she's that's what she's actually looking for. Um, and it's through reconnecting, I think, with her own childhood trauma, with the loss of her sister, that she actually rediscovers art and rediscovers her sense of self. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Delia's relationship with art and the novel's relationship with art is ultimately about discovery and rediscovery. Mm, I love that. I love that. It's always it's always something like that, you know. So I wanted to yeah. ask you what what your sort of you know yeah. what you were going for that. Now I read that you're also a podcaster. I like meeting fellow yes. podcasters. Tell me about this. Well, I have, we have a podcast called Lady Parts. I have it with a very good friend of mine. We look at women. Um, speaking about horror before um we look at women's roles in genre cinema um mm. which has been pretty amazing we're on a bit of a break at the moment just because of lockdown and covid um but it's, yeah it's been a pretty great experience so we review movies but we also talk about the industry and about representations of women um in fantasy horror science fiction and crime fantastic um, i love that and i was just having this conversation the other day actually about uh, there was a movement in terms of writing crime where in your book it was a bit of a challenge not to have any dead women or domestic mm. violence against women or, um, you know, any sort of violence against women because when you read a lot of crime, that's immediately what happens as a missing girl. Yeah. I really like exploring that and unpacking that and I find that movement really interesting because then when you go to write a crime novel, you really have to think deeply about, well, what am I going to do if I'm not going to fall on domestic violence or rape or the murder of a woman? Of a woman? It's interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah, it? and it's, it's complicated and it's hard, hmm. I think, to um, kind of go against those, A, those really ingrained genre tropes um, of especially murdered women in both crime and in horror, um, but also in terms of wanting to reflect the way our society is and, and the reality yes. is that this is something that is prevalent, like yes. most of the people who are murdered are women, like, and it's, and the bigger people who suffer from domestic violence are women. Yes. So it's kind of, it's, it's a really, I think, tricky line. It is, it is, because you don't want to represent it because you don't want it, you want to show people that this is reflective of society and it's terrible mm. and we need to change it. But then sometimes, yeah. you know, as a reader, I'm like, I don't want to read another dead woman's body you know yeah so yeah you're right it's very yeah. tricky because you want to be reflective and you don't want to ignore a serious situation but no. then again you know you don't always want the dead woman in her underwear at the beginning of a story no. <laughs> no, exactly and then it's about you know is uh, is storytelling how much of the responsibility is on storytelling to reflect back mm. our society yeah. and how much of it is escapism yes because yeah. if it's escapism, you know, I would very happily never read about another yeah. dead woman. And, yeah. and it's also it's this interesting thing. I mean, I, there have been some really good shows lately, I think, that have depicted 
have explored themes like rape but mm-hmm. not depicted it which have been like you know Jessica Jones I think did a fantastic job of that and um um I can destroy you yeah yeah as well it's like a brilliant job of kind of exploring it without depicting it and yes. about re-empowering the women's voices throughout that yeah. but they're also but at the same time they're also very heavy viewing both yes. of them yeah and again that ends up being the exact same question which is what's yes. the responsibility um, to reflect versus mm. let people escape. And I don't think there's a there's a hard and fast answer. I think our conversation no. is what it is. It's about yeah. exploring it. You know, it's about exploring it, acknowledging it that it exists and trying to move through that. But yeah, but if it's still a problem and it is in our society, you know, we can't ignore it and we need to address it, obviously. So that's yeah. very interesting. Oh, I'm gonna listen to your podcast. I feel like <laughs> we've sort of started talking about what you guys probably talk about. Yeah, so. yeah, that's what it's Amy and I talk about a lot. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard, it's complicated. Mm, and it, there are difficult conversations to have. And just like you said, there is no hard or fast answer to any of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's but about it, kind of and sometimes there's no answer at all. Yeah, but it doesn't um, mean you stop the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. I'm going to check that out. Got some lockdown time ahead of me, so I'll yeah. have some time to <laughs> check it out. <laughs> now, a question I ask everyone who comes onto the podcast, Sophie, why do you write? I've tried to quit. <laughs> um, I have tried to quit. Uh, and I can honestly say there's just nothing in the world that makes me happier. Um, it's probably it's a bit of a sad answer <laughs> but it's just, there's a release to it I love telling stories I, I just really love stories I love people I love exploring people I love getting to meet people via characters on the page and getting to know them and being able to write and to connect with readers then that way it's yeah I don't know it's just something about the whole thing that I just can't when I try to quit I don't think I'm at most lasted about three days. <laughs> That's not long at all. No, and, so and there are no silly answers to that question because I think I think it's a different for everyone. Sometimes mm. it's a personal question, sometimes it's a practical question. And you know what? The answer changes over time. Because yeah. I've had multiple guests come on and I say, well, you know, why do you write today or why do you keep writing? So I sort of tweak a little bit if they're a repeat guest. And it's different every sort of time you ask them because the mood's different, the day's different, the context's different, the books is different, you know. So mm. it's an interesting answer that can keep evolving as you yeah. write, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole thing with writing, you know. So I was actually, um, I was talking to someone about this today too, but it's like looking at the rabbits. So I started it a really long time ago. Um, I think I probably started it seven or eight years ago. And I'm like, I don't think I'd write it I'm so proud of this book. I love this book um, for so many reasons and, I'm, and I feel I'm very excited for it to find an audience. But I don't know if I, if I was to start it today, I don't think I'd write it in the same way. Mm. But I think that's exciting. I think yeah. that's, you know, I don't think writing is something that you stop doing um, and that you stop learning. I don't think there's an end, there's a point where you stop learning how to write and to and that you stop growing as a writer and if you think that way that's probably a dangerous yeah I, I agree you've got to keep learning and growing yeah and I yeah. think with art I really like the idea that no art is ever finished sometimes you just have mm. to submit it or frame it or stop yeah. it but it's never it's never finished and I love no. that because you're always growing and learning and taking on the feedback so I think that's yeah. a perfect answer no, I completely agree well, Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and I love going on tangents, which is what we often do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's the time of night that we podcast or if it's the topics that we cover, but I like going on these tangents because I find 
you know, books bring out um, so many more interesting things about the world. So thank you so much for the chat, for writing the book and exploring all the things we explored in that very short period of time, mind you. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining me today. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.